Kedney Thalcha. Welcome to Oncron Behab Podcast for July 12, 2023. Hello again. My name's Terrence O'Donnell. I'm back for another episode of News from Around the World and an op-ed about something that may or may not be important to you, depending on what matters to you. This once-a-week podcast is being hosted on rss.com and is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Intunes, Google Podcasts, Deezer, and a few others. Once a week, I try to offer you stories from news feeds and blog writers from around the world that you may have heard of or may not have. A little about me. I'm of Irish descent and a self-professed chanquet, a Gaelic storyteller. And I want this podcast to feel like we're sitting under on Crombia, which is Gaelic for the tree of life, typically the village oak tree. Sitting under this digital tree together, I will read for you headlines from news feeds, relevant blog articles about climate change, racism, politics, and social injustices, usually not found on the front pages, and why I think these stories are relevant to the world we find ourselves in now. This podcast is free to subscribe for all who care to listen. I don't want money to stop you from listening. The purpose of this show is to push people to get up and make a difference in our world before it gets too late to do anything about it. I do offer the option of donations on the rss.com webpage where this show is hosted and within my blog articles, much like passing the hat at the end of my visit to your digital village. I also publish a weekly newsletter detailing everything I talked about today with links to the articles I bring attention to and some commentary about the week's events at medium.com and substack.com, all to support my online activism and storytelling. I will also be taking a break once I had delivered these headlines from the last seven days. During the break, I promote my, web, my website, on Crombieha, with my stories and articles published online in a short one to two minute clip. It's nothing very fancy. This week, I have quite a mix of stories about all the things I ran about. Climate change, racism, injustices around the world, and some politics that, affect, that could affect the whole world. And then an op-ed about climate change this week. So let's get started with what I picked out for you this week. First one I got for you comes out of TheGuardian.com. This is from the Netherlands. This, this I got about a week ago, and it's entitled Mobile Phones and Other Devices to be Banned from Dutch Classrooms. Education, education Ministry in the Netherlands says tech is a distraction from learning, will only be allowed as specifically needed. So it's a story that you're probably not going to find in the United States or a few other Western countries, but it should be. Banning cell phones from classrooms will definitely help teachers and educators do a whole much better job. I've seen so many stories here in the United States about educators and teachers having to deal with kids having their devices with them in the classroom while she's, well, the teachers are trying to teach lessons. And they, I have no power to stop it. My next story, will the day come when America's reporters have to flee? Media consolidation that's happened since the Reagan Revolution makes our overall media landscape much easier to seize, control, and manipulate should our government ever flip fully fascist. This is from Tom Hartman in his Daily Take, and the HartmanReport.com. So it's an excellent question. And one of all of us who write political blogs and podcasts, such as this one, may have to start worrying about. I mean, I don't plan to stop until I get told to or they try and come get me. 
which may be both in Trump or DeSantis's administrations. As we all know, DeSantis has already outlawed, well, nearly outlawed anything other than loyal to DeSantis type journalism in Florida right now. And they're, they want to bring that to a national level if they get elected. Next one I have, the five deeply American things that America already failed miserably. Hold on to your seats for number five. This comes from Mona Lazar. Now, she's not an American. She's from Europe. And she wrote an article in Medium.com. And she typically, as a European, visits the United States now and again. She's got friends here and business and things. So her insights on the culture of the United States from the outside are right on track once again. I wrote about one of her earlier articles a few months ago regarding how people from other countries view Americans. In here, she talks about the marketing scheme of the American dream. The ideal of America being the greatest country in the world, being the land of the free, and the Europeans' op opinion of Florida. And again, she's right on. I'm a world traveler, and I've mentioned this a few times. Now, granted, I haven't been out of the country in 20 years, but even so, when I was traveling all over the world in my younger days, especially in, in my early, you know, later days, in my 30s and 40s, I noticed a lot of American dissension, I guess, if you want to call it that. To American tourism was looked at with disdain in Europe and so on. And a lot of countries in the Middle East really don't like Americans. Well, here's an example of that. My next story, how the Supreme Court's idea of religious freedom could resegregate the country. This came out of the NewRepublic.com by Bryn Tannehill. The court once held that the Civil Rights Act trumped religious freedom. After these recent decisions, that's over. The consequences could be enormous. So the writer talks about how the recent decision of the Supreme Court had thrown the country into chaos with a lot more to come. I think there will be in certain places, I think there will be in a certain place this used to be, so let me say that again. In certain places, there's going to be discrimination on religious grounds, especially in red states. And maybe not as much as you might think because it comes down to business which leads me into my next article, which is kind of on the same thing. And this one came out of The Guardian. U.S. small business owners discriminate at your own peril. This is an opinion piece by Gene Marks. The Supreme Court says businesses are free to refuse service on the basis of belief. But that doesn't mean we should. And it's adv he's advising small business owners on the possible financial consequences of barring business with certain demographic groups. As a former small business owner in a rural area, I knew better than to turn away any business because people talk, especially in part sparsely populated areas. And I'm talking about red rural areas. When word gets around you're discriminating, you most definitely see a drop in customers and revenue. Most small businesses operate on a slim profit margin as it is, and it doesn't take much to tip them into the red. Maybe this hysteria over potential discrimination has much to do about nothing. There will be business that will, but they will rue their choices. But the mass, mass, vast majority will carry on as they always have with whatever business model they had before the decision. Very few people like to rock that financial boat very much. And to be honest with you, I ran my own business for 10 years, and I was one of those. I was very well aware that I was doing business and living in a very red rural area of the United States. 
and my customers were very prejudiced. I knew this, but I kept my mouth shut, went about doing my business. I provided a good service for my customers and let politics remain where I belonged, outside of my business arena. I never discriminated against anybody. At the same time, if you wanted to be a butthole, then yeah, I probably wouldn't do business with you. But that's probably the only reason I would say no. My next one is political from the UK. This one is entitled Scottish Minister Leads Protest at King Charles Coronation Event. Now, this, took this coronation event was the second one. It took place in Scotland. Patrick Harvey, co-leader of Scottish Greens, addresses protesters as Charles is presented with Scotland's medieval crown jewels out of the Guardian.com UK News. As I mentioned last week or so, there is more and more talk coming from the Scots over declaring themselves a republic in the next few years. Even more so lately as Britain implodes and they watch Barney and King Charles spend tax money on crowning ceremonies instead of helping the poor. Yeah, and Scotland is having some internal problems right now. And they're going to be voting on a new, you know, SNP. And the one, you know, it's in the majority party right now, he's advocating. He's pushing. So maybe in a couple of years, Scotland might be their own thing. And be honest with you, I'm all about that. My next one here comes back to the United States, and this is a racist article of sorts. It's entitled, Thanks for Visiting Florida, colon, One Black Family's Road Trip to a Hostile Tourist Trap. This is in the Guardian.com U.S. News by Andrew Lawrence in the Santa Rosa Beach paper. It's a feel-good article about one family's daring beach adventure traveling from Atlanta, Georgia to Santa Rosa Beach, Florida, all for a few days vacation that actually turned out to be rather nice, despite the travel advisories and subtle racism in Alabama and Florida. As the author writes, the black staff at the restaurants in the resort area were over the top because a lot of other black families heeded the warning this summer. So the article you know, gives a lot of details about their really nice vacation. Now, if you haven't figured it out, this is an African-American family. He's apparently reasonably affluent because he could afford to drive down to Santa Rosa Beach for a, a Florida vacation. Um, and he talks about one of his relatives came down to visit and they all had, had a really good time. So this whole business of Florida being off limits, I think it, it's up to the discretion of the vacationer. Some places may not be friendly anymore. So there are places that are. You just have to kind of weed them out. And here's another one here. This is kind of political. The Supreme Court is on a mission to ensure the U.S. assumes the form that the Republican Party wants by Chauncey DeVega. And this came out of www.salon.com. It's really hard to reconcile these decisions with one another in terms of an overreaching theory of law. By And it's a good opinion piece of an interview with Kiara M. Bridges a professor of law at UC Berkeley School of Law. She gives a different perspective about the recent overturning of affirmative action. It's quite the eye-opener, something I heard about first during the Tom Hartman show on, on July 5th. And I recommend you read this if you're interested in a, a kind of a, a, different, a different perspective on this affirmative action. Going back overseas again, this is a climate change political I say that. It's a little bit of both. Sweden charges Greta Thun Thunberg for blockading oil port in the BBC dot 
BBC.com News, Science and Environment section. So this young, notorious Swedish climate activist was arrested for disobeying a policeman to leave a protest area along with three others. Now that she's finally going to go to court for something, will she have a record like those same protesters here in the U.S.? Will that only add to her notoriety or make it harder for her to get her message out to the world? Myself, I'm going to be watching this in European news feeds to see what happens. Because the big thing is, as we all know, some people in this world, here in the United States, we know one notorious one, thrive on all the attention. Now, she's a nice young lady from everything I saw, but she is a very notorious climate activist. And three cheers for her. But the question is, what's the Swedish government going to do now? Are they going to lock her up? They're going to fine her? They're going to give her a criminal record? Well, it all depends on what they do. I'm going to be kind of looking at the news feeds to find out. And I have another kind of a feel-good article, and it's environmental. Gray whales seen seeking human help to remove parasites. Captain of a tourist boat from Baja, California, Mexico, says gray whales return repeatedly for grooming. This came out of the Guardian.com environmental section. Here's a new twist. Gray whales seeking humans in boats to groom them from crab-like parasites that even though, you know, even though they're thought to be beneficial, seem to be a skin irritant for the gray whales. And the gray whales seem to be okay with humans removing them, even if temporarily. So is the question is, is this a new trend in interspecies relationships? Well, you know, I tend to think that that could be a good thing. Oh, if only we don't abuse it. And as we all know, humans are notorious for abusing things like this. I hope I don't see any stories in the future of people killing gray whales just because the whales came up for a little petting. And this one is environmental as well. And I say the difference between environmental and there's climate change. This is environmental. Experts say climate change likely to increase U.S. malaria cases. Scientists quell fears about imminent risk after cases in Texas and Florida, but warn that mosquito breeding sites set to grow. And this came out on another, another article from The Guardian. Scientists are telling everyone that with global warming, mosquitoes are breeding more in the warmer, rainier climate in some places. And it's going to get worse as temps rise. It looks like the southeastern portion of the United States may soon become more like equatorial Africa and the Amazon rainforest with rising global temps. There probably, be, there probably will be more tropical diseases arriving via mosquitoes in the future. Does anybody remember the Zika outbreak from South America here a year or two ago? Well, we may be having that again and a lot more of it here in the United States. And this one, again, it's another environmental article here come out of the guardian the u.s banned a brand brain harming pesticide on food why has it slowed a global ban by sharon lerner so i read this story in july 6 about how the u.s epa agency is all about getting chlorpyrifos banned here in the u.s but not so much in the rest of the world why money of course the corporations that manufacture this stuff don't want an outright global ban because they would lose millions in profits. Instead of coming up with a safer alternative, which R&D costs a lot, they would rather poison the environment with this pesticide that causes children brain damage. The U.S. EPA is on record for doing one thing in the U.S. and promoting the opposite at the annual U.N. Stockholm Convention in Geneva. This article also talks about the, 
a couple of other toxic chemicals that the corporate chemical companies lobby to stock global bans on. Again, it's all about the millions of profit losses if the APA doesn't side with the corporations. My question is, what does the U.S. EPA gain from all this lobbying? They have such a bad reputation that they can't, they can't even vote at this convention. But they work the back channels aggressively at this annual convention every year to favor the American chemical companies. Why? Who stands to gain within the EPA? Carissa Covener, the senior policy advisor who attends these meetings? Kind of makes you ask little questions here. And here's some more environmental stuff. Carbon capture faces a major test in North Dakota by Dan Garino in Inside Climate News. An expert weighs in about Project Tundra and the viability of retrofitting coal plants, coal plants to capture carbon. So I talked about this before in previous podcast episodes about capturing carbon and burying it underground and how the experts are asking what happens when a pipeline leaks, which they do, or these underground storage places, which will start leaking. Now, here we have another article, article from Inside Climate News that interviews a leading expert who tells everyone converting 50-year-old obsolete, obsolete coal-fired power plants with carbon capture installations, which the engineering is still an R&D, will be the wave of the future. The only reason these power generation corporations are getting on board with this is because of the millions of dollars in federal subsidies being offered to do this. This this expert ballparks the estimate for one of the conversions at double or more in cost, not to mention the millions needed to install the equipment and who benefits. I'll give you one guess, and it isn't the consumers. And I read another article about this today and talks about they're only going to be car you know, capturing carbon at about the one percentile. So they're capturing one percent of the carbon coming out of these plants, shipping it down pipelines that leak, burying it underground, which in 25, 50 years, is going to leak back out again. But yet, are they going to tell anybody about this? Well, of course not. They're going to take their federal money subsidies and run all the way to the bank with it, laughing at everybody on the way. And I picked up this article here. It's, it's a bit of a doom and gloom article from my favorite doomer, Umar Haik. And it's entitled, The Next Level of the Age of Extinction. The apocalypse phase of climate change appears to be heading our way. And this is another one of those must-read articles that puts everything into perspective for us. He adds everything up going on around the world with good research and tells it like it is. It's doomsaying, but with, a, with meticulous details and an accurate vision of what's to come, likely in my lifetime, and I'm a senior citizen. We should be scared, very, very scared of the near future of humanity and the planet we live on. Um, again, I'm going to put article like this stuff here. There are going to be links to it in the newsletter. I strongly recommend you read this one if, if you don't read anything else because he puts this all in a nutshell for you to tell you what's going to happen here in the very near future. One hell of a mess. Volunteers clean out three tons of trash from Lake Tahoe. Clean up after cleanup effort after 4th of July was one of the worst in years, says founder of a group behind trash collecting. And this came out of theguardian.com by Abenay Clayton. Abenye, maybe. Sounds French. Abenye Clayton. This new story is more about how bad people are getting away with regard to all the bad things assaulting us every day. They go to a nice place like Lake Tahoe, take Lake Tahoe and have one huge party 
and trash the place as if it's the end of the world and they don't care anymore. It's also nice that this volunteer group cleaned up after them, but they should have had to do that. This is just another example of people, people giving up or basically just don't care anymore. And I saw pictures in this article here of what these, all these party goers did on July 4th around the lake, on the beaches around the lake. And it's pretty, it's pretty awful. I mean, it's really, really awful. But it's just like what's, this is what life is coming to. People don't care anymore. They're tired of the doom and gloom. They're tired of the pandemic and everything else. And they're just letting it go. And they don't care. They don't care if they leave anything behind for their grandchildren. Children. It's all about today. More environmental stuff. Brazil. Amazon deforestation drops 34% in the first six months under Lula. Government data shows marked reduction against the same period last year, reversing trend of duration destruction during Bolsonaro's reign. This is from the Guardian.com world. So good news for a change. But they're heading into a dry season, which means fires. But, but with sanctions and taking cattle from illegal ranchers, there's hope yet and light at the end of the horizon. So he's done a lot of good work down there, and he's going to continue. He's fighting really, really hard against his parliamentary government down there, but it looks like he's starting to make headway. And that's a good thing. The article goes into some details about the sanctions against corporations down there doing illegal mining and taking cattle away from illegal ranchers and all that. So that's a good thing. And here's another one. This is kind of in limbo right now. Future of deep sea mining hangs in balance as opposition grows. Ireland and Sweden join countries calling for moratorium on extraction of metals from seabed as UN-backed authority prepares for crucial talks. Another article out of the environment, theguardian.com. It's a big deal for the whole planet. If these mining corporations get to work tearing up the ocean's bottoms, the pollution will kill a large portion of the world's sea creatures and ecosystems. Given that the oceans are, are already an area of huge carbon sinks, and the fish provide for food for millions of people in another life, this could be a planet killer. When will humans learn to leave things alone? But no, we have to continue to make millions to keep the technology flowing at the expense of the biosphere that keeps us alive. And I've got another article here later on, talks a little bit more about environment and fish and, and oceans in general. So stand by for that one. Climate activists want to see more constitutions like Montana's. High-profile lawsuit is driving an appetite for green amendments by Darna Noor. And this come out of Mother, MotherJones.com politics. Recently, 167 kids from Montana sued the state government over their right to a stable, healthy environment to live in as granted by the state constitution. The verdict is still pending, but it's starting a small activist movement that may get larger as more and more young people get on board and try the same in other states. I've said before here, it's now up to younger generations to take the climate and political bull by the horns and enact the changes we need for a better world to live in. Us older people have trashed it and are most unwilling to fix it. A, you know, myself, I plan to push this initiative as much as I can to help the young people turn things around in their lifetimes. And I'm hoping that this podcast will eventually get out to all the younger people, as many as I can get to pay attention to this, so that they take up the reins in the mantle and do the things that my generation is failing to do for you right now. This one goes over to China. 
China transforms extreme frontier to energy hub. The articles on this page are produced by China Daily, which takes sole responsibility for the contents, and that's their disclaimer. This came out of the independent newspaper.co.uk. This is by Zhenzing in Asia, China, China Daily. Finally, some good news from China. They're pushing hard on renewable energy sources to offset climate change as much as they can, surpassing the U.S. For China bashers, it may seem like another technology race with the U.S. and other Western countries. But this race is a good thing. It doesn't matter the reason why. It matters that countries are doing things like this to try and turn, turn everything around. Go China! Three cheers! The Colorado River flooded Chemehueve land. Decades later, the tribe still struggles to take its share of the water. By Mark Olalde and Umar Farouk. It came out of ProPublica and Ann V. Smith of High Country News. This might sound like a story about just one Native American tribe, but it's another story about how the American government has continually screwed, continually screwed over the tribes since they were conquered. In this case, it's about water rights, Con- contracts that were, that were not written with their best interests in mind. Some are fighting back, but it's a real uphill battle in the white man's courts that rarely ends well for the reservations. And as I said, the article is about this one Indian tribe um, you know, out there in, in the California, Nevada desert. And they've been there long before the white man ever came. And they're trying really, really hard to just have basic rights like, you know, running water would be a good thing. And here I have a really good article from one of my favorite writers, Jessica Wildfire, once again. Don't be a buzzkill, quote. There's nothing normal about what's going on. The gaslighting will get worse before it gets better. So another good article about how the world is going to pieces, but the money makers don't care. Live another day to maximize profits. Who cares if the planet comes crashing down on your head tomorrow? She thinks she may have to quit her job as her employer wants her teaching in a crappy classroom again in the fall. Again, the profit flows must be maintained, or in this case, we have to justify why we're keeping the empty classrooms. In a follow-on to this article she wrote a few days later, she convinced her bosses that being in a classroom like that was unhealthy, and she pushed it to the point where they relented, and they're going to teach, let her teach remotely again. So cheers for her. But it goes to show you just how much corporate America is influencing classrooms. Teen dies in sawmill accident as U.S. states aim to roll back child labor laws. So this one came out. It's kind of a back page news. But it goes back to what I said multiple to multiple times. Child labor should not be thing. We should not be putting children in these industrial places to go to work. And here's an example of what happens. Investigation underway after police were called to find unresponsive teenager last week at a Florence Hardware sawmill by Maya Yang in The Guardian. So it's a, as I said, it's a small story that should be bigger. And there's going to be a lot more like this in the future as states are so desperate for unskilled labor, they've rolled back their child labor limits. And here's a good example of the price of blood that's going to cost American families. Here's another environmental kind of economical thing. The U.S. is the world's biggest corn exporter, but for how long? By Stephen Starr and the BBC.com. With everything else going on in the U.S., here's a small story about corn farmers in the U.S. struggling to sell their produce now. 
The U.S. used to be the world's largest corn exporter, but no longer. The buyers are looking elsewhere due to lower prices from other countries like Brazil. China is buying elsewhere because of the pricing and the trade rift with the United States. But it goes back to the larger picture. Climate change, global warming is affecting the farmlands and breadbasket area of the United States, where we used to be, and I say this, used to be the largest exporter of soybeans and corn around the world. Not so much anymore. One, we can't grow enough anymore like that. And second, because of all the problems going on, we have to up our prices and buyers are going elsewhere. You should have seen this note. U.S. meteorologists meteorologists harassed for reporting on climate crisis. Meteorologists face hostility and threats from viewers as they tie climate change to extreme temperatures and weather. And this came out of TheGuardian.com. So I wrote about this and said something in my podcast here a while back. Meteorologists around the world are getting harassed, threatened, and everything else because they're reporting factual events, facts in general, about climate change. So it just means that ignorant people don't care. They want to live in their own little hole in the world, and they don't want anybody in, intruding on that. Now we got, you know, frontline meteorologists and... They don't want to hear it, so they're threatening people. And that's too bad. You know, I don't, I don't know. Why would ignorant people be willing to commit violence on reporters just doing their job? These stupid humans just need to crawl back into the cave they've been living in and stay there. NTI vaccine doctor flood, fans flood court, claiming to be a common law grand jury in a $66 million lawsuit. So this, is, this story came out of Canada. But this could happen here in the United States. Dr. Daniel Nagasi is suing the British Columbia Supreme Court over his children's vaccination against COVID-19 by Bethany Lindsay in CBC News. So if you thought the U.S. was the only country with lunatic anti-vaxxers, you thought wrong. This story is right out of some of the weird stories we had back in 2020, right out there with Donald Trump's stories of alternative medicines. And this article goes on about this guy who's a serious anti-vaxxer up in Canada and got a cult following and all kinds of stuff. Uh, it's it's kind of interesting, funny news. This one's political, and this one comes from the Netherlands. Mark Root, Netherlands coalition government collapses in migration row. This came from Matea Bubalo and Robert Greenall in BBC.com. So it's a political story from the Netherlands, and it's just the tip of the iceberg of things to come over thousands of asylum seekers coming to Europe. They, the whole government over there resigned and discharged the government into a caretaker role until new elections can be held in November. The point of this is to show the world just how much right-wing factions are influencing governments around the world now. And there's been a lot of articles here lately coming from every direction about how right-wing governments have been taking over Europe and more and more coming down the pike. Spain's got a got one a big huge influence coming up right now. It looks like the Netherlands is going to have a big thing coming. France is also upticking. So what's that going to happen to the EU? Another Canadian article, and this is kind of climate change slash political political from CBC. Don't let this picture fool you. And Danielle Smith, Alberta. Justin Trudeau was the black hat of villain. The Alberta Premier and the Prime Minister sat down for a 30-minute meeting in Calgary on Friday by Graham Thompson. So it's something that's been going on in Canada for a little bit now. 
Canada's version of a red state publicly declaring that Ottawa, in this case Justin Trudeau, doesn't have the authority to tell Alberta what to do with their resources or anything else for that matter. A lot of the rhetoric is, uh, is over misinformation. So does this sound familiar to any Americans? And yeah, that's business up in there in Alberta is making a lot of headlines up there right now. How climate change accelerates the danger of worldwide fascism. In addition to stepping up to, to mitigate climate change and green the world's economy, the free nations must harden our democracies against reactive right-wing violence and hate-based political movements by Tom Hartman. And this one came out of the HartmanReport.com this week. So this really great article sums up everything that's been happening around the world for the last few decades. It's nearly, it's nearly too late to turn back the tide because of climate change. He magnificently points out how the U.S. bullying policies around the world have been one of the primary creators of the worldwide refugee crisis. The new question for this decade is what now? The still in, inhabitable regions of the world are unwilling and in some cases unable to handle the thousands. And as he points out, soon to be millions of climate refugees that will be flooding these regions looking for food and shelter. Read this further to get an idea of what's coming to the humans of the planet. And this is another one of those must-read articles. Again, it goes right up to that one I told you about, Umar Haig, talking about what the future of the world's going to be like here and not, not too far down the road. Alabama, Alabama Black Belt becomes environmental justice test case. Is sanitation a civil right? So when I say Black Belt, I'm not talking about martial arts. The Civil Rights Division of the U.S. Department of Justice recently announced that Alabama had agreed to remediate a sewage crisis in majority black Lowndes County by Dennis Pillion at AL.com. And this is from InsideClimate.News.org. It's another story I picked up that's not mainstream news, but it should be. How many other rural counties around the country are suffering from the same thing here? As I mentioned, a little here and there, the biggest, you know, I, I've mentioned a little bit on the podcast now and again. The biggest issue on why the U.S. is dividing up between red and blue states is money. The largely rural red doesn't have enough money to take care of its people. And they're listening to any politician who says they'll fix it, especially if they're an entertainment figure on public TV. Only 15% of Americans think climate change will cause them significant personal harm. It's time to wake up. Another article I picked up here a little a couple days ago from Jessica Wildfire. Another cry for everyone to wake up and admit that global warming is here to stay, and it's going to get worse. Most people are generally on board with the idea, but would rather ignore it in their pursuit of getting rich until it directly threatens their lives. Well, we're there now. More and more people are fixing to lose everything, or they may have already lost everything. I mean, th think about the floods up in Vermont here this week. A few have died recently, such as, you know, up there in New York and Vermont, but the rest of the world is still zombie walking towards the next media influencer that might make them rich today. And again, that's what it comes down to. These media influencers are all about telling you how to get rich today. They don't care about tomorrow. They don't care about next week. They don't care about next month. All they care about is how can you get rich today? And I'm going to go back overseas at this time. This one over to Africa. Ghanaian children take over, taken from home over false trafficking claims. And this is one, another one come out of BBC.com, World Africa. 
by Chiara Franca Francavilla and Kwakia Kwaki Alfred Nuama and Ken Ken Henne Boteng. That's a mouthful. Nice people, I'm sure, but hard to pronounce their names. It's a story from Ghana about how American church-led NGOs are kidnapping children in the guise of saving them from traffickers. It turns out that they have a quota system, and then they, they don't want to admit to it, and the children, children are being forcibly separated from their families for profit, sometimes for good. You know, here's the thing. There, the original intentions of this program was good because there is a lot of trafficking going on over there, but unfortunately somebody set up a quota system and the contractors that they hired to implement this stuff, yeah, they're just raiding small villages and taking children without asking questions because they count, they count as like a bounty once they're turned in. And then it's up to the parents and grandparents or whoever, caretakers, to go over there and try and retrieve them, which they have to do at great expense. And a lot of them can't do it. So the children remain separated forever. That's a shame. It really is. But it goes back to churches, Christian churches. Once again, UK, UK care operators accused of shocking abuse of migrant workers. Unison says some workers given substandard accommodation and 80-hour work weeks and forced to repay recruitment fees. And this came out of the Guardian.com by Robert Booth, who's a social affairs correspondent. It's another case of modern-day slavery when immigrant UK care workers are being subjected to abuses, such as illegal garnishing of wages, overwork, and other abuses. And they say they have outlawed slavery in over in England. Yeah, it could look like it. they're bringing it back now. The MAGA Russian plan to track and control your life. At the bloody hands of this MAGA insanity, we risk going down a path followed by most oligarchies in history, becoming a dictatorial, dictatorial single-party rule state with a complete loss of civil liberties. Another article from the Hartman Report, and I just made a short comment about this. This is today, come out of today. We are very, here in the United States, we're very close to this right now. My question is, can the young people in the United States turn this around? Do they even want to? You need to listen to this. And you need to listen to every other person out here, either on podcast or on social media or whatever method you care to get your information from. These old people in my age bracket and older are going to take this country away from you. And if you let them, you're going to be in a single party theocracy rule if the MAGA government takes over here in 2024. And then I've got one last thing here for you. There have been multiple stories about this Senator Tuberville here in the United States about his blocking of all these military promotions because he wants the Department of Defense to quit paying travel expenses for military members who need abortions and are stationed in red states where this is now illegal. He also wants to defund in any transgender medical treatments for serving service members. He's holding up close to 650 high-level promotions within the U.S. military now. The biggest ones are the top generals for the Marine Corps and the Joint Chiefs of Staff. The U.S. Is, US military is fixing to lose their heads. I say that they're, they're leaders within a couple of months if something doesn't give. And the U.S. still thinks they have the best military force in the, in the world? Yeah, not anymore. Not with these political factions divided the country right down the middle. 
Maybe we should actually consider giving these people their own country so they can ruin their country and leave the rest of us alone. So that's the end of the first half. So it's time for me to take a break and wet my whistle. So while I'm on my break, give a listen to my promotional message. Then please stay tuned for my op-ed of the week in the second half of the show. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. I want to take this time to bring attention to my website on Crombieha at https colon forward slash forward slash 527.websitex5.me. In this website, I have a blog page where I post copies of my articles, teasers about my books, and a synopsis of the weekly podcast. Here in the website, you can also learn a little more about what An Krabiha means for a little bit of Irish culture and more about me in general. I also have links to this podcast, my Medium and Substack pages, an ad page for my books, and a contact page in case someone cares to leave a message. If you like my Medium.com and Substack.com articles, I have an option at the end of these articles to, and stories to leave a donation to my coffee fund and sign up for a subscription if you want. I also post a weekly newsletter as a follow-up to the podcast every week in both publications. I don't want anyone to feel obligated to financially support my work, which I why I offer everything for free. Medium does ask you to sign up to read the full pieces, though, even though I offer them for free, so just a heads up. Each article I write will be, avail- be available in the blog section of my website if you don't want to sign up for anything. I just don't have all the extra frills that you'll find on medium.com and substack.com or access to all the other great writers there. But at least I give you a choice. If you enjoy reading, there are great choices to find out what you like most and dive in as much as you want. I hope to hear from you, whatever you decide. Welcome back to the second half of Alan Krabiah podcast. I received this blog article from an online magazine called Heated yesterday. And I felt the authors, Ariel Samuelson and Emily Atkin, made a good case about how the news media and people in general are still dismissing the idea that global warming is not a thing yet, despite evidence to the contrary, especially this year. I want to read you their article today and try and help them raise awareness as much as I can from my small platform here in this podcast. Even though I don't have a large listener base yet, I feel like the more people I pass this information on to, the more they might share it with other people, and maybe we can gain some traction amongst the younger generations. They are the planet's best hope for societal change to, to install the inevitable, inevitable march of global warming and climate change. I'll be long gone by the time the equatorial zones of this planet become totally uninhabitable, but my children and grandchildren will definitely experience this in their lifetimes. My oldest is in his early 40s now, so all my children and grandchildren will see these massive changes to their environment before leaving the planet to their descendants and so on. Scientific predictions are the planet temperatures will keep rising, and as of this year, they are no longer sure by how much. These rising temperatures will kill off huge swaths of wildlife on the planet's surface, not to mention the marine life in the oceans. There are already lots of stories about migrations of marine life heading towards the northern latitudes to cooler waters, but I've yet to read anything that connects the dots yet. Whales being sighted in places not seen before, schools of fish farther north and in smaller numbers, large die-offs on southern shorelines, and so on. The part of this that no one is talking about is how much of the world's food supply comes from the world's oceans, and when the fish disappear due to warming oceans, How many other species from around the world, including humans, are going to starve and die out? 
I responded to this article with a rebuttal to another respondent for his ridiculous and obvious capitalist remark regarding people like these two climate activists telling the world that bad things are here and with more to come. I'm going to read you my response to this capitalist idiot. And so, Take Back Manufacturing, that's his handle, is advocating for more carbon-based industries. In so many words, adapt to the new world and suck it up, cupcakes, he says. We all know that the only reason someone says that is because he stand a profit by it. Meanwhile, the planet burns and millions of people are going to die by heat exhaustion. There's no way to sugarcoat that. We are past the point of mitigating that anymore. All we can do is prepare for the billions of climate migrants that will be moving to cooler climates. No matter how many of them die and how much cooler the climate countries try to throw them back. This migration started years ago and it's only going to get a lot worse. By investing in renewable energy to dial back the methane and carbon dioxide emissions, we stand a chance for future generations of, of the human race surviving and adapting to the new world, although in much smaller numbers than the regions that are still habitable. Areas of the planet between the equatorial tropic, zone, tropic zones, where a large portion of the world's oil comes from, will be uninhabitable within the next few decades, especially if things keep going the way they are then what will all these oil sheiks do when they can't get their oil output from the ground anymore? The majority of these worldwide fossil in industries will go belly up when their parts of the world are uninhabitable. But then maybe they already know that and aren't telling anyone. Maximize their profits now while they still can. So that's my rebuttal for that guy. He was advocating needing more industry rather than less and, you know, devil take the hindmost as far as pollution goes. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read you the article from Heated. And in so doing that, hopefully I can find it here. Here, Maybe. Bear with me here while I get to it. Here we go. So here's the name of the article. Oil companies are laughing while the world burns. And the news media is once again failing to connect the dots by Ariel Samuelson, Samuelson and Emily Atkin on July 11th. Over the July, July 4th holiday, while Americans were firing up their barbecues and setting off fireworks, the world broke a new world broke a new record. Earth had her three hottest days ever recorded since instrumental measurements began in the 1850s. One climate scientist told the Washington Post the last week global average temperatures were likely the highest in 125,000 years. Another climate scientist, Bill McGuire, called the record heat totally unpre unprecedented and terrifying. And there's a chart here to, to go with that. The grim milestone may be unprecedented, but that's, it's not unexpected. Texas and the Southwest broke records just last month as the heat dome drove the heat index above 120 degrees or 48 degrees Celsius. Parts of the northern and east India Northern and East India similarly suffered under a daily heat wave that killed nearly 100 people last month. Muslim pilgrims observing this year's Hajj walked through temperatures of 113 degrees Fahrenheit, 45 degrees C. The evidence that climate change is not merely a phenomenon, but a crisis, a catastrophe, and a calamity grows stronger every day. Only a few decades ago, no journalist would have dreamed of writing a sentence like, the earth is getting too hot for humans to survive. But we not only write that sentence every week, we expect to write it in weeks to come. And as it turns out, it bears repeating. 
because many in the me- many in the me- mainstream media still aren't connecting these extreme temperatures to climate change. Misinformation by omission. TV is still the main source of, that most Americans get their news, especially the weather. So it's concerning that TV is one of the last bastions of climate skittishness. Only 5% of TV stations that covered the heat waves in Texas and the Southwest connected them to the climate crisis, as a new study from Media Matters found. The majority of major TV networks failed to report the direct link between global warming and record-breaking temperatures. ABC, CBS, and NBC aired a combined 123 segments about the heat wave, but only seven mentioned climate change. Major cable networks did no better. CNN, Fox News, NBC, MSNBC aired 187 segments about the heat waves, but only eight mentioned climate change. At this point, failing to connect extreme heat to climate change is more than oversight, it's misinformation. The scientific evidence that climate change exacerbating both the frequency and intensity of heat waves is overwhelming. There's no excuse to leave out the connection. But even if the news media were regularly connecting extreme heat to climate change, it wouldn't be enough. To truly, truly do the climate story justice, the news media must go further and connect climate change to the fossil fuel companies refusing to reduce their planet-destroying emissions. Amid record heat, oil, oil companies double down on inaction. Science is clear. Carbon emissions fueling record temperatures around the world come primarily from fossil fuels. And the only way to ensure a safe climate future is to reduce fossil fuel dependence. But lately, fossil fuel companies have been doing everything they can to increase society's fossil fuel dependence for the sake of their profits and the expense of the planet. In the past week, as the world continued to suffer under extreme heat advisories, fossil fuel CEOs denied the need to phase out their core products. Shell CEO Wael Sawan told the BBC that the world still desperately needs oil and gas, unquote, and that cutting production would be, quote, Dangerous and irresponsible, unquote. French petroleum company Total Energy CEO Patrick Poyan said the company would invest two-thirds of its capital in oil and gas, with one-third left over for low-carbon technology. Quote, today our society requires oil and gas. It will take decades to build a new system, unquote, he told CNBC at the OPEC conference last week. The rhetoric isn't surprising. Fossil fuel companies raked in record-breaking profits this year, with major fossil fuel companies making nearly $100 billion in the first quarter. Last year, major fossil fuel companies earned a mind-boggling $457 billion. That's a major incentive to wrap up production, regardless of the planetary cost. With its unsurprising, it's unsurprising that major oil and gas companies are scaling back their climate pledges. This year, BP significantly reduced its promised emission cuts by 2030. Shell promised to cut oil production by 20% by 2030, then told investors earlier this year that they had already met their goal by selling some of their operations to ConocoPhillips. Total Energy's pledged to reduce its emissions by 40% by 2030. While making promises they will slash their emissions by 2030, fossil fuel companies are simultaneously investing in new projects, Hundreds of new oil and gas projects around the world have been approved in the past year, according to the New York Times analysis. Demand is also higher than ever. Fossil fuels made up 80 per, 82% of world's energy in 2022. In order to secure that demand, 
The fossil fuels industry influence has spread beyond the energy sector. Big tech companies like Apple, Google, Microsoft, and Amazon, which promised to help solve the climate crisis, have aired the same lobbyists working with oil and gas companies to delay climate action. Worse, the fossil fuel industry is taking more direct action to influence climate policy. The world's largest climate conference, COP28, is being led this year by United Arab Emirates oil, oil baron, Al-Jabbar. And other UAE leadership have already said that they have a new game-changing plan to solve the climate crisis, involving oil and gas companies more fully in the UN climate talks. This isn't the first time the fossil fuel industry has infiltrated the UN climate summit, but it's the most blatant. Fossil fuel industry's anti-climate tactics have been so egregious lately that last week the UN's former climate chief admitted she was wrong to ever trust them as good faith partners in tackling climate change. In an op-ed for Al Jazeera, former executive secretary of the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, Christiana Figueres wrote, quote, more than most members of the climate community, I have for years held space for the oil and gas industry to finally wake up and stand up to its critical responsibility in history. I have done so because I was convinced the global economy could not be decarbonized without their constructive participation, participation, and I was therefore willing to support the transformation of their business model. But what the industry is doing with its unprecedented profits over the last 12 months has changed my mind, unquote. This realization is long overdue for figures, and it's long overdue for the media, too, because what the fossil fuel industry has done with its profits over the last 12 months is no different than what they've done in the last four decades. At this point, it's to ignore it is to endorse it. And that's the end of the article I have for you. And that's all I've got for you this week. So my challenge, again, for you is I give you a weekly challenge, something to think about. It's climate change, okay? As we've seen, we've got heat domes in the United States, and there seem to be, they're probably going to be going on all summer. We had that massive flooding event up there in New England, hitting upstate New York, Pennsylvania, Vermont, somewhat in New Hampshire, and it was really bad. This whole town up there, Vermont, got flooded out pretty badly. So the big thing is, this is more of what's coming. If you think that this is just a taste, think about it. If anybody knows anything at all about geography, you should know that we have what we call the Tropic of Cancer and Capricorn that bracket the equator. And that zone of the, of the planet is the warmest part of the, of the globe. And that's probably within the next 20, 10 to 20 years is soon going to be, become nearly uninhabitable. It's going to be so hot there that people can't live there anymore, and they're all going to be going north and south, mostly north. As you know already, unless you're living in a cave, that global migration is a big thing in Europe and here in the United States, but more so in Europe. And it's only going to get worse. And if you think we got problems over there now with tensions and and throwbacks and stuff, we're probably going to have a war. Another European war trying to throw back all these climate migrants. Here in the United States, we're going to have our own internal migrants, as I've mentioned before. The southwest part of the United States and northern Mexico are fixing to become uninhabitable if these heat dumps you know, continue. And all the people living there are going to have to have somewhere else to go. Well, you know where they're going to go. They're going to be headed to the northeast. So if anybody knows anything at all about you know, the, Al Gore's article, An Inconvenient Truth, going back to 2006, 
you already know how that's going to work out. So my challenge for you is think about think about this. We are, in fact, in global warming. There's no denying it. The evidence is there. You can't deny it. You can't. Think about that. And what can you do about it in your own personal environment? What can you do in to help us out and get rid of this? You can't get rid of it. You've got to mitigate it. So I'm going to let you go. And I'll talk to you again next week. Uh, hopefully you have a better week. And I'm going to close out with my usual spiel here. And I hope to see you again next week. I would like to thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed it and that you'll return again for another episode of On Crom Feel free to share this with your friends and relations. The more the merrier. Each podcast episode will be free and can be found on many different platforms now, although some may have advertisements. Unfortunately, I have no control over that. Search for On Crom podcast or under my name, T-O-D-O-M-H-N-A-I-L-L in your favorite app. I hope I've achieved my goal in helping you feel like we've been sitting under the village oak tree together during our time together. As a Shahe, I want to continue to travel to your digital village every week to bring you some news from the outside world, or maybe a story or two that may bring you a smile or make you think for a little bit after we part for the day. As I say goodbye this week, I wish to leave you with this Irish blessing as you go about your day. May your troubles be less and your blessings be more, and nothing but happiness come through your door. Schlangafoil, which means goodbye for now in Irish.